you'll take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll be looking this morning at Luke's account of the triumphal entry, as we call it. Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. We'll get back to our study of Ephesians after Easter, taking a bit of a break to focus upon the events around Christ's death. Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. This is God's Word. After he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount of, that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully. The loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, Surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave you, leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. That is God's word. Let's pray. We ask now again your blessing upon our time together in this part of your word. We thank you so much. For the Lord Jesus, what he was willing to do for us we ask now your grace upon us as we look at this part of your word that you would be our teacher by the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word today and we ask it in Jesus name Amen well today is Palm Sunday of course Today we remember uh, and commemorate Jesus, we know, as his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Next Sunday is Easter, of course. Because this is an annual event, a routine that we observe every year, the tendency is for us, just like Christmas, and I warn us against this every Christmas, the tendency is for us to kind of ho-hum our way through it, isn't it? Another Palm Sunday, another Easter Sunday. We've been there and we've done that before. So what I want to say this morning up front is not so fast. 
Don't rush through the events of this week without taking the time and investing the effort to think through the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. You see, the biblical events that took place in this week that we commemorate in the life of the church are the very foundation of our salvation. Jesus came to die that we might live. He came to give His life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and to rise again from the grave to give us victory over sin and death. His death, you see, was the just payment for our sin before a holy God. And His resurrection guarantees us the assurance of eternal life. Apart from the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the things we commemorate during this week, there is no hope of salvation. It is just that important. And so, it would do us all good just to ponder the events that took place during this week in the life of Christ. To reflect on all that he experienced. To think about the meaning and the significance of today, Palm Sunday, of the crucifixion on Good Friday, and of course the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Last week I kind of uh, set the theme by uh, looking at the cross. And remember, we, we focused upon the three crosses on Golgotha that day. One, I said, was a, a cross of rejection. One was a cross of repentance. And the cross in the middle on which Jesus died was the cross of redemption. This morning we're going to back up time-wise to the Sunday before the crucifixion. In this Palm Sunday, look at Luke's account of it to see what we can find there for us. You know, the ministry of Jesus was initially, at its beginning, very open and very public. Jesus' ministry initially was to the masses. Many of the things that Jesus taught, many of the miracles that Jesus performed, were in front of thousands upon thousands of people. You know, the feeding of, as we call the feeding of the 5,000. There may have been 10,000 there, including women and children. It was very open. It was very public. And the, and the crowds everywhere Jesus went would, would follow him and they would press in upon him trying to hear what he had to say and to see what he was about to do. It was so hectic, we're told in the New Testament that Jesus many times did not have time to, to eat or to rest. The only times that Jesus withdrew from the crowds was when he either needed some time alone, time with his father, or when he understood that the hostility of the Jews against him was too great, too quick. You see, Jesus knew. He knew his purpose. He knew his purpose was to go to the cross, to, take, to die for his people. But he also knew that he was on a timetable. His father's timetable. He knew that his death had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And he was here to do his father's will. To carry out completely in the exact timing that God had established. And so, if Jesus sensed that the hostility of the Jews was too intense. 
too soon, he would withdraw from them to allow things to cool down. You know, that's why Jesus spent most of his ministry, his public ministry, up in the northern part, up around in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. There was less tension there, less hostility there. The closer he got to Jerusalem, the more intense it became. You see, it was the, it was the Jewish religious leaders who really generated the hatred and the envy and the jealousy toward Jesus. They were the ones who wanted to do away with him. In fact, they would send representatives up to Galilee to follow Jesus, to, to listen to Jesus, to watch Jesus, trying to hear him or see him say something or do something for which they could bring charges against him. So Jesus spent most of his public ministry away from Jerusalem up in the area of Galilee. However, as Jesus realized that the Father's timing was near, that his timetable, his Father's timetable for him was coming to a conclusion, when he understood that it was nearing the time for him to go to the cross, Jesus withdrew more and more from the multitudes. He spent more and more time with the disciples, the twelve apostles alone, teaching them, instructing them, preparing them to carry on the ministry of the gospel after his death. Now Jesus knew that it was in Jerusalem where he would face the final opposition to his ministry where he would eventually bear the awful load of the cross. And so when the time was right, when he understood the time was near, Jesus left Galilee and he consciously, purposely made his way to Jerusalem. And all along the way, he knew exactly what he was doing and knew exactly what would happen to him when he arrived in Jerusalem. I want you to look at that with me, just in Luke's Gospel. If you'll back up with me to chapter 9 of Luke. In verse 51, it's very interesting to me to see how Jesus made such a determined journey to Jerusalem to carry out his Father's will. And to bear your sin and mine on the cross. If you look at chapter 9 of Luke. In verse 51. It says when the days were approaching for his ascension. My text says he was determined. To go to Jerusalem. The, the Greek word there. Means he literally means he resolutely. Set his face. To go to Jerusalem. Almost like a horse with blinders on. Blocking out everything that might distract him. He determined to go to Jerusalem. If you turn to Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. It says that he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Now to Luke 17 and verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now to Luke 18. I'm going to read verses 31 through 34 of Luke 18. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man 
will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. And then over to chapter 19. Verse 11. It says, While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And then verse 28, the first verse of our text today. After he had said these things, as after he just told that parable mentioned in verse 11, after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. I think that is very helpful background as we come to this triumphal entry. To realize that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. This is all planned. All the plan of God. This is all Jesus fulfilling his Father's will for him. And as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it really culminated a period of, of weeks, if not months, in his life where he determined to go there to do this for us. Well, Jesus arrived in the area of, of Jerusalem and the city of Bethany. Bethany was, we'd call that today, a suburb of Jerusalem. It was about two miles away from the city of Jerusalem, right there on Friday. Uh, John tells us that he came to Bethany six days before the Passover. He stayed there in the home of Simon. Simon was a leper that Jesus had healed from leprosy. And uh, he spent Friday there with him and observed the Sabbath there with him as well. Sabbath beginning on Friday evening, ending on Saturday evening. And uh, after the Sabbath was over, Simon held a dinner party, if you will, for Jesus. They were in his home. There were about at least 17 people there. Uh, there was Jesus. There were the twelve. There was Simon, the host. Lazarus, the one whom he had raised from the dead, was there, along with Mary and Martha. And this was the Mary that had anointed his feet just earlier with costly perfume and wiped his feet with her hair as an act of worship. Well, it was, it was after that, the next day, when Jesus chose to make his appearance, to, to do his entrance into the city of Jerusalem. As you know the story... Uh, because we recited every year again, Jesus sent two of his disciples on ahead to the to Bethpage, telling them that they would find a young colt there. The colt had never been ridden, and they were to take the colt. And if, if the owner was to ask, why do you need the colt? Why are you taking my colt? They were to say, well, the Lord has need of it, and it would be allowed. It happened just as Jesus said. They went. The question was asked. They answered, and they were able to take the colt. Brought it to Jesus. The text says they put Jesus on the coat, on the colt, and Jesus began to ride into the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting that Jesus rode that day into Jerusalem. Find another place in the Gospels where Jesus rode anything. Jesus walked everywhere that he went. 
just the mere fact that Jesus rode on this colt in Jerusalem was a significant event. And he was the only one riding that day. Everyone else was walking. And as Jesus began to ride on this colt into Jerusalem, the people began to, to put some things together. And they began to ask themselves, could it be? Could it be that this really is the one whom God promised to send? Could it really be that this one now really is about to appear to be what we hoped he would be? Is this really the one who is to be the king of the Jews? You see, there was no physical reason for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. There had to be a spiritual reason. And so these people were desperately searching in their minds for some reason why Jesus would be doing this on this particular day. And they knew something, something had to be significant about it. And so as Jesus began to, to make his way on the colt, riding toward and into the city of Jerusalem, there was almost this sense of, of mass hysteria. Word began to spread of, of something happening on the road to Jerusalem. And the people began to come out to greet him. And the Bible says they, they put their coats down in front of him. They would say they were giving him the red carpet treatment. Laying their coats for the, for the colt to walk on. And, and they cut branches from the trees. And yes, John tells us they were palm branches. To wave before him as he road into the city of Jerusalem. Verse 37 tells us of our text, as they're approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And then they quoted from Psalm 18. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And of course the the, the Pharisees were watching unhappily at this transpired. So they, they came to Jesus and tell them to be quiet. You see, they didn't want the people ascribing the Old Testament prophecies to Jesus. And so they said, tell him to hush. And Jesus basically said, it won't do any good. Because if they hush, the stones will begin to cry out. You see, Jesus was to be praised. And on this day, Jesus would be praised. And if the people didn't do it, the stones themselves would do it. Why would Jesus be praised on this day? Because not of just what he was doing then, but what he was on his way to do. You see, as Jesus rode on that colt, he wasn't just going into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus knew he was riding on his way to the cross. And for that, Jesus was to be praised. And Jesus was to be honored. That he would do his Father's will to come from the glories of heaven to take upon himself human flesh like us, to live among miserable sinners like you and me, to live a life with no sin, and yet at the end to take your sin, all of it, 
every one of them upon Himself all of my sin. Every one of them in my place. Yes, I would say Jesus was to be praised. It's interesting that as he neared Jerusalem, the Bible says that he stopped. There was a place where he could see from the road, overlook, an overlook of, of sorts. He could see the city of Jerusalem beneath him. And the Bible says that Jesus began to weep. It's interesting, that's the only second place in the, in the gospel ever told that Jesus wept. The other was before the tomb Lazarus. But here Jesus weeps. Why did Jesus weep on this instance? As he looked down upon the city of Jerusalem, why did Jesus weep? One reason, I think, is because the, the city of, of Jerusalem had been a city of such great promise, but it turned out to be a city of such great disappointment. Jerusalem is where the temple was. Yet as he came into this city, the people of the temple were turning against the Son of God. He came to his own, the Bible says. His own did not receive him. Another reason was because of the glaring lack of spirituality among the people of God. They were far from the spiritual people God had called them to be. You know, on the outside, they appeared to be very religious, didn't they? On the inside, they were very much different. You said, you know, they're much like a cup that's been washed on the outside, but inside it's still very dirty. It's, it's like a tomb. On the outside, listen, if you begin to dig underneath, you find much that is not a people. That described the people of God and Jesus wept because of it. Of course, another reason Jesus wept is because he knew what was ahead of him. Make no mistake about it. Going to the cross was a difficult, difficult, difficult thing. Not just the cross itself, but what he endured to get to the cross was a very, very difficult thing. He knew it was there that he would be betrayed, he'd be arrested, he'd be tried, be beaten, be spit upon, be cursed, and yes, then be nailed to the cross. And, and to make it even worse, Jesus knew that some of the very people who were ascribing praise and glory to him now would be the very ones who would turn on him then some of the very ones who were hailing him as the king of the Jews as he rode into Jerusalem just a few days later would be raising their fists and crying out crucify him crucify him and so Jesus knew the hypocrisy of their people and so when Jesus thought of it he wept after pausing and weeping he rode on into the city of Jerusalem there to take upon himself the sin of his people your sin and mine well, what, do make, what do we make of this what do we see here I think it shows us several pictures of Jesus one is we see a picture of a determined Savior 
Look, we, we saw it all the way through the, the Gospel of Luke, didn't we? Jesus was determined. He resolutely set his face to go to the cross. He was determined. He said, your sin upon himself. He came to do his Father's will and he was determined to carry it through. We also see a prophetic statement. You know, Jesus came in fulfilling a prophecy. This was not plan B. You know, God didn't along the way have to say, oops, this isn't working the way I'd planned. I've got to do something different. I might as well send my son. This is God's plan all along from the, from the foundation of the world. He was said, His Son, to be your Savior, to die on the cross in your place. We see a picture of a sympathetic Savior, don't we? The weeping Savior. Who cried on his way to Jerusalem. And then we see we have a suffering Savior. You know, all this praise again, all this adoration that he was receiving was just a fleeting thing. Soon it was over. The crowds were gone. And Jesus was left alone. You know, as I said earlier, his sufferings were real. They're really beyond imagination. Scorn on his name. Fists on his face. Thorns on his brow. Nails in his hand. A sword in his side. The greatest suffering that Jesus took was your guilt and your sin. That drove him to the cross. The triumphal entry was the path that Jesus took to get there. That brings us to where we are this morning. To this table. It really is a gift that God has given to his church. A visual sign, isn't it? Of what Christ has done for us. Here we have physical, visual reminders of the body and the blood of Jesus broken and shed for us that we might not experience eternal death but be granted the greatest of all gifts, eternal life. You want to know what this season of the year is all about? This is it. This is it. Where Jesus rode into Jerusalem to go to the cross, bear your sin in mind. Isaiah says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thanks be to God for this unspeakable gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you indeed that your word is true, right, and real. We pray your blessing upon uh, our assimilation of what we just heard, of the fact that Jesus was determined to go not just into Jerusalem, but to the cross, to bear our sin. We pray, O oh Father, that you would help us as we now come to the Lord's table to do so with humility and grace, seeking your face and the grace of Jesus in our lives. We ask it in his name. Amen.